Brett Barrowman is someone you've probably never heard of unless you're in the meeting and planning industry, but he is my all-time favorite leader. Now, Brett and I used to work together. When you are in a training event or something like that, and people say, who is the one person that you think of as the best leader? I immediately think of Brett Barrowman. He is a class act and a thoughtful, caring human who always got great results. I wanted you to meet Brett because he's my favorite leader. I'm looking forward to you meeting this special man. So without further ado, The Mindful Leader. excited to have with us today, Brett Barrowman. Brett was born and raised on the southwest suburbs of Chicago, not too far from bad, bad Leroy Brown. You have to be old enough to understand that reference. Uh, Brett graduated from Oklahoma University with a bachelor's degree in business administration, majoring in business management, and he also had minors in marketing and finance. Now, I knew Brett When he was the VP, maybe senior VP, I can't remember, uh, but he was over corporate travel conventions and conferences at American Fidelity. And an amazing thing about Brett is in that role and through the years, he traveled through the air two and a half million miles. So we might talk about that a little bit and his experience in the air. Uh, Brett's been married for 46 years and all to the same person. So that's uh, pretty impressive there. Uh, One of the interesting things about Brett, and Brett, I'd like to talk about this a little bit, is Brett was diagnosed six years ago with Parkinson's, and he has, uh, I think, an interesting story about his uh, Parkinson's journey. Brett is an accomplished human. Uh, His community involvement over the years, he's been Uh, involved in the Oklahoma City Northside YMCA Board of Management. He's been the president and board member for youth services uh, for Oklahoma County. He's been involved in leadership Oklahoma City. He's been a deacon and elder in his uh, church. He's currently a board member of the Oklahoma Parkinson's Alliance. He's a hospital volunteer uh, in the ICU waiting area. Uh, Brett's retired. That's how he has time to do that. Uh, He's also uh, formerly has been involved as the president and board member of the Financial and Insurance Conference Planners, which is an international association of meeting planners of hotels, airlines, cruise lines, and destination management partners. He's been a member there for 20 years. And a finance and insurance customer advisory boards with Ritz-Carlton Hotels and Resorts, Marriott, Uh, I'm not sure how you say that, Marriott or Marriott, maybe he can tell us, Uh, hotels and resorts, Fairmont Hotels and Resorts, Hyatt Hotels and Resorts, and he's currently an advisor for Meeting Escrow, a company that provides financial services to the meeting convention and conference management industry. If you know anything about the uh, uh, meeting and conference management industry, Brett Berriman is a legend. He probably would not say that, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it for him. Brett is a legend. 
The reason, Brent, uh, first of all, just let me say welcome. How are you today? Doing fine, David. Thanks very much for asking. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show. There's a reason you're on the show. There's a reason everybody's on the show. <laughs> but the reason you are on the show, and I know I've told you this before, but I've known a lot of people in my life. I've known a lot of great leaders in my life. I've known a lot of great people. And I, this is zero exaggeration when I say this. And I'll probably have to not cry when I say this. <laughs> but I have never in my life met a single leader that I admire more than Brett Berriman. Um, we have worked closely together uh, back when we both worked at American Fidelity. And uh, you're just someone that I've watched, I've admired, and I have said for years, when I grow up, I want to be a leader and a person like Brett Berriman. You are an amazing human. And when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> That's too kind to say. You must have me confused with someone else. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it, it's you. I, 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 I just think you are a remarkable individual. And um, uh, we can talk about maybe some of those traits and things that make you so wonderful. One of those is humility. And so you will, I, I know you, you won't sit here and say, yeah, I'm fantastic. I'm amazing. That's, that's not the kind of person you are, but, but that's why you're on the show is maybe we can dig around in that uh, wonderful mind of yours and see what makes you so great, but welcome. I appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for the invite invite. It's been a long time since we've had a chance to chat. It is. It, it's been a little bit. Uh, you retired how long ago? Two years ago? 2019. 2019, three years ago. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, every day, every day is a Saturday. <laughs> for, for you, it is now, huh? <laughs> so what have you been doing while in your retirement? I know you're still active in a lot of uh, great things, but how, how's retirement treating you? What have you been up to? You know, it's, it's different. It's very different. Uh, <clears throat> Thing that I forgot about. There's a spouse in the house that's used to doing her own thing. And now all of a sudden, here am I, you know, in the way, so to speak, you know, where are you going? All this kind of stuff. So it takes a while to get used to that type of environment. But you keep busy doing things. It's amazing. At the end of the day, you said, what did I do? Well, I did all these things, but I didn't intend to do all these things. I have a habit of fixing things that aren't broke that need to be fixed anyway. I'm with them. So, you know, just keeping yourself active. Uh, Parkinson's keeps me active. I have to, uh, I don't know if she said I have to, but you got to manage it. And so I walk, run, box, do weightlifting, calisthenics and things like that, just to kind of keep going. And that takes a lot of time. I uh, walk four or five days a week, lift weights and box twice a week, do yoga twice a week. So those kind of things keep you going. Yeah. And you've always been a very healthy person. You've always, uh, I know you jog and uh, and uh, all of those types of things. And the boxing that's uh, been, you've been doing that for quite a while now to help with the Parkinson's and, mm -hmm. and you can probably kick some butt now, huh? Not really. <laughs> you could probably take me. <laughs> I just came back from, from one of my practices and 
it's uh, it's more cognitive than anything else. You call up different numbers and you position your glove in certain positions, and uh, so it's 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 interesting. There's a lot more to it than I thought. Well, let's let's talk about that for a minute about the Parkinson's. I remember we were sitting in uh, one of our HR uh, manager meetings, and you just casually mentioned one day something about uh, I think boxing because you have Parkinson's, and I remember. I was just dumbstruck, as was, I think, most of the people in that meeting. I think a few of them knew you had Parkinson's, and you weren't, like, making an announcement or anything, like, I need everyone to know I have Parkinson's. You just (laughs) casually mentioned it, and we were just kind of floored uh, because to us, there wasn't really any indication that you had Parkinson's. Tell us, if you would, about how uh, you found out about it, how it came about, and You've mentioned all of the things you've been doing to stay active, but kind of tell us about what that's been like in your life and how you've uh, been approaching that. Well, it sounds strange to say that I approach it positively. It's a progressive disease, so it's not going to get any better. But, you know, it is what it is. I hate to use that that phrase, but you manage it the best you possibly can. It's not going to go away, at least in today's world, it's not going to go away. Uh, so you just, you have to approach it properly. I like to get with people who have Parkinson's. There's a gentleman I walk with that was a scientific researcher at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. And we walk every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday just to keep active. And it just drives me crazy when people who have things such as Parkinson's that don't really do anything for themselves, just kind of sit there and wither away. So I think remaining active and, and facing it positively. You know, it's right. not like I drank myself to a liver disease or smoked myself to a lung cancer or anything like that. It just happened. And right. uh, I think the toughest thing is the fear of the unknown. Since sure. you're fear, but just not knowing what tomorrow's going to be fine. But, you know, three years down the road, what's it going to look like and things like that. So, but, you know, you got to push with a positive attitude. I don't mind telling people I've got Parkinson's. I see my hand shaking. They might think I'm over, overcompensating or over caffeinated. Uh, but you know, Hey, that happens and you go with it. Right. And you are just in life a, a positive person. You're, you're, and that's one of the things I admire about you is how positive you are. You always find the positive in things. You always find, um, you know, a way to make things successful and it's one of the things I admire about you. And so it's no surprise to me that you would do the same thing with a Parkinson's diagnosis. Well, thank you. Now, I, I get negative on some things these days as the world shape it's in right now. But you know what? If you look negatively on everything, you become a negative person. You're going to just do yourself in. And, you know, I'm not positive all the times. I try to look at the better side of things. Uh, people are people. They right. come from different backgrounds, uh, different side of the beach balls, we used to say, right. things of that nature. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's it's kind of in me. My mom was real positive about things. My dad was not really that positive. He was very quiet. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the way I approach life is try to be positive about things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, nobody is 100% positive. But the thing about you is, you, you know, you can be realistic about things, but then you always, I would say, take the positive approach. Like maybe, you know, you, you see the reality of things, but then you're like, okay, how do we take this? And then let's be positive about it. 
Yeah, you know, I used one uh, back early in my meeting planning days. My boss at the time had a bunch of towels he wanted to send to Hawaii. He wanted a bunch of a bunch of what? Towels. Towels. Okay. Company logo on it and stuff. Right. He wanted in three boxes. There's no way we were going to get in three boxes. And this is with the young lady who uh, succeeded me in in meeting planning. And I said, well, we just give refrigerator boxes. They're bigger. You know. (laughs) So. We wound, up, we wound up shipping smaller boxes, but that's the way I looked at it. We fill up three refrigerator boxes and ship those instead. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And uh, we ship some watches to, uh, to a resort destination and they didn't show up. And I said, well, just walk down the beach. And he said, what for? I said, you'll probably find them in some vendor's stall on the beach. You know, and so I try to turn it and as you know, at midnight when he's down in the, in the resort and I'm here at home, just trying to put some light into the thing that's realistic. They're not there. What are you going to do about it? You know? Right. Yeah. Cause excuse me, you, you planned these conventions all around the world and you get there and now you can't just, you know, walk around the corner and, you know, order a thousand, whatever, but you have to just make the best of it. And so that's one of the things I think that's made you a great success is figuring out how to make the best of the situation with the resources we have right here with us. Well, you know, and you got, we, we had some, some instances where well, was in, in Austria, for example, and we had a flight that had a lot of our people on to get stuck in London and they couldn't get their luggage or anything like that. Well, they got to Vienna and the luggage was not on the plane. And we had to go to uh, a symphony that night. And so they had to dress properly. So the American Airlines rep happened to be with me. And I said, what are we going to do? And he goes, let's find a shopping mall. We'll buy them all new clothes. And, and American Airlines did that for us. But, you know, right. that's how, how you're going to do. You know, they don't have your luggage. You can't just get stuff out of thin air. Right. Um, so, you know, and some people look better with the stuff that they bought in Vienna than they did what they bought with them. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> That's great. Well, Brett, I want to talk about your life and your career a little bit, but before we get too far, let's pause and do what I like to call the music minute. So I believe that we can learn a lot about people uh, from the types of music they like. So I know a little bit about you and the kinds of music you like, but our listeners don't. So tell me about maybe some of your favorite artists, some of your favorite songs, favorite albums. We don't have to take a whole lot of time on it, but tell me a little bit about what kind of music Brett Berriman loves. You know, it's kind of interesting. I go by the decades. Right. You don't hear, unless you're on satellite radio series or something like that, that you hear the 60s and 70s. But I grew up in that era, so it was late 60s and 70s type music. Then you skip into today's world with the new generations, the uh, – Lady Gaga's and people like that that I that I like. I just like the talent of a lot of these people that they have. So I really don't have any favorites per se. Uh, but I, back in the day, um, six, in the 60s and things like that, it was the Temptations, the Four Tops. Oh, so good. Moody Blues. Um, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, Mamas and Papas. Right. Beach Boys. You know, just all kinds of different stuff. And then you get into the 70s and 80s, and it became... Rolling Stones type stuff, then Coldplay and Hot Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, people like that. I like watching uh, 
who's America's Got Talent and things like that, but I turn it off and they start to vote because I don't like to see people lose. <laughs> I hate that's interesting. <laughs> you like watching the talent, you just don't want to see people lose. I don't want to see them lose, yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And that's one of the things I love about you. You know, you mentioned Coldplay and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Lady Gaga. You know, you you like staying up on current stuff. That's that's I love that about you. Well, you have four grandchildren, granddaughters, and that kind of forces you a little bit. That's great. <clears throat> Sorry, I was taking a drink of water there. So, uh, you and I have a uh, something we've laughed about for years and i can't remember how it came up but uh there's a song that you want played someday at your funeral <laughs> and they got into vita the long version make everybody suffer i think that is the funniest thing the, i remember when you mentioned that the first time I probably laughed for 20 minutes because I thought that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Everybody was talking about the song they wanted played at their funeral. And it was always like these sad songs, these songs about death or going to heaven or all these kinds of things. And it came to you and you said in Agata De Vida. And a lot of, a lot of our listeners may have no idea what song that is, but they need to look it up. And, and the long version is what, 17 minutes long or something, something like, like that? that? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, the, the person person officiating the funeral and stuff doesn't have much to say because I'm going to take 17 minutes of it with Nagata DeVita. I, I love it. I, I love it. I think that is the greatest. Is the great, I think about that all the time. I, I think that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so that's that's good stuff. All right, enough about that. Excuse me. So tell us a little bit about Brett. You grew up in Chicago. Tell us about a little bit about your life and career. Just tell us about Brett Behrman. Well, as you mentioned earlier, I grew up in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, a little town called Homewood. It was a little town at that particular point in time. Uh, worked wrote, Well, my first job was a caddy at a local country club, which was a real ride because I didn't know anything about golf. Then I was a lifeguard at a, at a swimming pool, and that was kind of fun because I taught water safety to little kids, and that was enjoyable. Uh, on the swim team in high school, uh, tried football, tried track. I sucked at all of them, so I moved on to other things. Uh, summertime was probably my most formative years were summertime work on road construction crews because you had a difference of different people. We had um, African-Americans, we had Italians, we had um, Germans, we had all kinds of different people working together from different backgrounds. It was always interesting to hear their backgrounds and things of that nature. So I learned something all the time. One day we were pouring concrete and the gentleman next to me was Italian, Guido was his name. He looked at me and says, you don't want to be doing this for the rest of your life, get an mm. education. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I always remember that and the different people that we had working with us at the time. And there could be 40 of us, there could be 300 of us, but it was just all different races and, and creeds and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad used to take the paychecks on, on Saturday morning, used to take the paychecks to some of the people who'd now take it to their wives because he knew the husbands would spend it before they got home. So right. I kind of learned from my dad the, the compassion thing and looking at things from another side, another perspective uh, with things that there's always a different, different way to look at things. 
um, I was doing construction in, in the town part of Chicago. And a little girl asked me what I was going to do for the weekend. I said, I was going to mow the yard. And she said, you've got a yard? And I looked around and Don, didn't dawn me until she said it. They didn't have yards. They had bricked in patios, but no yards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, her idea was going to the beach. Mine was going to the local community swimming pool. So it's just a difference on how you get exposed to different people, different things. It's one of the things I liked about the meeting planning business. I meet people from all over the world in different uh different countries, different styles, um, some good, some not so good. Um, but it was, it was always interesting to know where people come from, and what their backgrounds are. We had some guys on the, on the uh, construction crews. There's one guy that little old ladies would stop. He was a flagman and little old ladies would stop and talk to him. And they were driving Lincolns and Cadillacs and stuff. And I finally said, what does this guy, you know, how does he know all these people? Well, he's the, was involved with a not too nice uh, business proposition, shall we say, known as the, an Italian group, let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, these were all ladies he knew from that part of his life. You know, he's a little right. bitty guy, but uh, that was his side of his life. So I knew that about him. And so we talk about certain things in that, that arena. But it's just, you know, people are fun. People are fun. That's fantastic. So this guy in the construction group told you, you don't want to be doing this. You should go get an education. So you come to Oklahoma, you went to OU and you get your degree and then you start working for the daily Oklahoman for the daily Oklahoma, which is the newspaper here. Was the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I think they're still hanging on by thread. Maybe. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I've worked for the daily Oklahoma in sales. And that was my first entry into not working back home with people that I knew. Didn't know a soul, the daily Oklahoman. Uh, but it was, it was good, good to get a good background on things there in the sales because, again, you're dealing with different kinds of people. You're dealing with, at that time, people, my territory was downtown Oklahoma City. So you're dealing with people in large department stores and little jewelry stores, little clothing shops and stuff like this. So you had the big corporate side, and then you had the mom and pa side, which was interesting. Um, then I, uh, I worked for them for like three years. And then uh, one of my neighbors was moving. And I didn't know him very well, but I knew a friend in common. So I called him. I said, what's going on with so-and-so? And he said, well, he's moving back home to Texas. And this guy worked for Caterpillar Tractor. And so I knew there was an opening. So I went and interviewed with Caterpillar Tractor, the dealership. And I wound up being there in marketing, advertising, and promotion. I was there for 10 years. Then I went to work for Caterpillar Tractor as a product uh, project manager in, out of Oklahoma City. And then uh, they were going to move us to Minneapolis, and that wasn't in the cards. And so I called a fellow that used to work for me at the Caterpillar, work with me at the Caterpillar dealership. And uh, he happened to be at American Fidelity in the HR department. And that's how I wound up at American Fidelity, and I was there for 30 years. Yeah. And you're quite a legend there. I hear they're going to name a wing of American Fidelity, the Brett Behrman wing. God, I hope not to be a very short wing. Well, so, not even a pebble. <laughs> so tell me about the Brett Behrman. Excuse me, I'm <laughs> coughing myself to death. Tell me about your approach to leadership because everybody who knows you 
uh, adores you and has such wonderful, kind things to say about you and your leadership. So I want to dig in to that mind of yours and uh, what, what, what is it about you? What is it about your approach to leadership that makes you special and unique? I don't know if I'm special or unique. You, you know, are. It's one of those things that it's kind of a gut feeling about things, um, being friendly uh, to people, say hello, you know, some really basic, basic stuff, care about people, care about their families, which it's hard to do these days because you can't dig too far in someone's background because it becomes gossip or hearsay or whatever the case might be. And so it's, it's difficult to do those types of things, but I think being genuine with people, being friendly, put yourself in their shoes. I used to think about uh, President's Roundtable of American Fidelity, where the salesperson who earned the right to be there through sales was known to the company. Their spouses weren't or their guests weren't. Mm -hmm. So I made a special attempt to make sure that the guest or, or spouse or whatever was taken care of because they're nervous. They're with executives of the organization that they don't know. And so I, I, everybody else could, knew the salespeople who were there, but they didn't really know the spouses for the most part. So I just concentrated on that. And when I got ready to retire, there were several people that either texted me or emailed me or called me at the last convention I was part of. And said, hey, you know, I appreciate the fact that you helped me out when I was at the first president's roundtable and things like that because I was scared to death. Well, you know, I've been there. Um, mm -hmm. Go to a meeting, you don't know anybody. Uh, and so you kind of put yourself in their shoes. I know it sounds kind of tried to say that, but, you know, everybody can have a good day and have a bad day. Everybody's got an opinion. Uh, and you got to realize that uh, people forget things. People do things that probably aren't quite right. But it's human nature and nobody's perfect, yet some people try to make it they're perfect. You know, and I think leadership is you can't do it all yourself. And I use this in the meeting planning side of it. I have great, great staff every for every time or forever. I was in that for 20 years and you can't get things done with that by yourself. And I looked at hotels. Uh, you have people that are in housekeeping. You have people that are in engineering. You have people that are in food and beverage. You have people in reservations. Without those people, you can't do anything. You're stuck. Right. And so right. I think good leadership is pointing people in the right direction, putting a goal out there, and kind of let them find their own way to it, as long as they don't go way off the track. Uh, and let them do their own thing. As long as you arrive at this, the same conclusion, I know that my successor, Carla, and I had different ways of doing things, but we always wound up with the same end result. Um, right. So it's one of those things that's, Back in my management school days from back in OU is management was getting things done through others. I think mm -hmm. managing, managing today is managing things where leadership is a little bit different than that. Yeah, you had so much in there I want to talk about. So let, let's start with the last thing you said. So maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about the difference in management and leadership, how you see that. Well, I think management is, you. let's use sales, for example. You're managing sales. It's numbers driven. Where leadership isn't necessarily numbers driven. It's more of a feel, mm -hmm. um, things of that nature. Uh, I just look at, I guess, more tactical is right. managers, management side of it and more strategic is the leadership side of it. It's, it's more of a soft sell, I guess mm -hmm. you might say. 
um, versus you didn't make your quota this month or congratulations, you made your quota this month versus, hey, you did a good job. You know, let's do this. Let's celebrate your successes, which we sometimes did, sometimes didn't. Uh, one of the things I learned was we had great, great staff and they're all female. They had kids. And so they have a different lifestyle than I did. My kids were grown and things like that. And you got to realize that to reward and recognize some of these people, it was different for everyone. Right. Right. Yeah. I hear a lot of <clears throat> emphasis for the last 15, 20 years on leadership and not a lot of talk about management. And I'm always thinking, well, you have to have both. Like someone has to manage the nuts and bolts of the operation. You have to get those things done. Of course, you need good leadership, but you, but don't forget someone has to manage all those details. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's like you drive a car to get from point A to B, but you don't think about who, what's under the hood. Right. Now, somebody's got to put the car together for, so you can manage the driving portion of it. Right. And maintain it all along the way. Yeah. 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 And being <clears throat> staying in the same lane the whole way. Right. Leadership, don't be vacillating back and forth. Uh, I found myself doing that, trying to playing to the personality of the individual I'm dealing with. Um, and I sometimes get off the lane a little bit, get out of the lane. And it right. wasn't always bad. It wasn't always good, but I found myself doing that. I was very self-conscious of working with other people. And did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? You know, it's, it's one of those things you second guess. I think sometimes people in leadership think it's my way or the highway. A lot of people think you that, know? yes. And I look back in my, in my early career and stuff, the, the different management gurus are out there, the Jack Welchers of the world from GE and Tom Peters and those people that were very, uh, I said, detail oriented. Right. But I'm not so sure. You know, I look at those people are all gone. Now. I don't, in today's world, I think if you talk to somebody who's just out of college, you wouldn't have heard of Peters. Right. Right. You know, here's the big thing at one point in time. Right. So I think that there's, Leaders that can lead people to do the same thing, to get to a common goal, where management is the nut, more than nuts and, nuts and bolts of it. You can take a great a great salesperson, make them a leader, that not always work. Right. The right. numbers and things like that. But uh, it's kind of like rising to your level of incompetence. And I hate to use the word incompetent because obviously they're not totally incompetent, but you rise to a certain level where it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. So, the beginning of what you were talking about a little bit ago, you were talking about your leadership style and the way you were describing it. And you were saying it's not really anything special. It's just thinking. And, and it's about, uh, can't remember the exact words you were used, but the word that came to my mind is, yeah, it's being thoughtful. And that's what Brett Berman is famous for. You're famous for being thoughtful. And uh, every leader is not thoughtful. And to me, that's what mindfulness is about. You know, it's about awareness and being in the present, but it goes that next step also where it's not just about myself, but it's about others as well. And that's what you are a master at is being thoughtful of others. 
Well, it's kind of like the golden rule, you know, doing others right. you want done to you or something to that effect. Um, you know, people people have feelings. People have things going on in their world. You never know what what happened at home on the way to work. Uh, what's going on tomorrow? So you have to kind of live in the moment with the individual you're talking talking with. Um, it's, it's difficult. I, I, I feel I don't feel sorry for, but people now like to work from home. Right. It would be difficult for me, being a baby boomer, to try to manage people or lead people who are working from home. I'm used to seeing people, mm-hmm. not in Zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. I'm used to one-on-one body language what's going on around them, things that are kind of off the, off the wall as far as conversations are concerned. Um, I think that that's a missing thing. And society as a whole is so integrated into that, that social skills and things of that nature um, will be diff- totally different. Not that it's wrong, but it'll be totally different than the baby boomers expected to be. You know, some people have seven different careers by the time they're 40 years old. Yeah. You know, my deal was in 50 some odd years that I worked, I had four different jobs, all the same type of job, all marketing, sales, promotion, things of that nature. But uh, I think in today's world, with people working from home all the time, they miss that connection. And it's difficult to lead people that you don't see all the time. So what do you think, giving your outstanding <laughs> skills, uh, you're laughing, but I'm serious. <laughs> given, given your outstanding leadership skills, what would you be doing today if you were leading a work from home group force, workforce, a work from home workforce? How, yeah. how would you be handling that? You know, um, I wasn't much of a meeting type person. You know, you sit in meetings and talk about things and some things get done, some things don't get done. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be difficult. I really, I thought about that recently since so many people are working from home. You just have to adapt to it, I guess. Um, you don't want to have warm, touchy feeling stuff. It's pretty much you're um, on, online with them for a while, then they're right. gone. And right. something can come up later on, they don't have time to get back with you and things of that nature. So I think it, Working from home is great in some respects. It helps moms. But I think working from home part-time and being in the office part-time is mm-hmm. probably a good blend uh, for it. Yeah, it's just, it's just tough, but it, it's the world we live in. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I think, I think adaptability in leadership is is key. You know, it's, right. somebody asked me what I miss most about being retired. I said the help desk. Because I had struggled with computers. Well, that's my age group with struggle computers. You know, it's it's my grandchildren right. to come over and show me. My middle granddaughter was over this weekend, and she showed me how to use something on my laptop that I never knew was even in existence. Right. Now, so you miss that uh, collegial um, environment where people can yeah. help you do things. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love that. The help desk. So, Brett, who had a big influence on your leadership style? Like, who did you admire? Who did you look up to that influenced you as a leader? Oh, boy, it's probably not any one single person that Mm -hmm. that influenced me. Um, Going back to my highway construction days, the superintendent, 
that I worked for for a couple of summers. He was a master at getting people again from different backgrounds, different cultures to work together on things. Uh, he was never got mad. I get frustrated, but you never knew it. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was communicative. He would walk down the, the line of, of making a, paving a new highway or repairing a highway. He talked to everybody to see how you're doing, how's the family doing, things like that. Uneducated, probably had an eighth grade education at the most, mm-hmm. but just had a natural ability to work with people. I had some high school teachers that uh, I felt were good leaders. Um, uh, one was in social studies and the other one was in Spanish, of which I didn't do very well at. Um, but uh, they were they were role models. They, they related to the students, uh, where sometimes teachers and administrators don't relate to the students. Uh, especially in today's world, it's, it's such a crazy world to be a teacher and stuff. Um, so coaches, whether it's a debate coach or a theatrical coach or an athletic coach, they're out there with a team. They're not by themselves. They're not kicking field goals. They're not doing mm-hmm. a stage play by themselves. They're always something going on with coaches. There's good coaches and bad coaches. I've got a book uh, from uh, John Wooden, the coach. A master. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just reading through it. Uh, where I grew up, we had the opportunity uh, uh I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He was uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg. His son mm-hmm. was on the corner from us, and he was always fun to talk to because about his dad and things mm-hmm. of that nature. But, you know, I think good coaches are like that. Some ministers are like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if too many ministers growing up because I didn't like going to Sunday school or church when I was younger. But as I got older, it was it was a little bit different. And, and you see people who, who take a, a concept with a common goal in mind and make it run, make it work. Right, right. Very good. Let's talk. Let's talk about your uh, travel experience. Two and a half million miles. That's you, you spent a lot of time on, on airplanes. What What have you learned from that experience? Not just being on the planes, but from traveling around the world in general. What have, What have you learned about? You know, I, I think, and I said it earlier in this conversation, the people, the cultures, had a chance mm-hmm. to be in Hong Kong, and just before that, British handed over to China, and what mm-hmm. the people were going through emotionally, knowing that was down the road, and how things would change there. Uh, Bangkok was crazy, and places like that. Every place we went was different. Somebody said, "What is your favorite place?" Now I say the next one. Right. We try, we try to break it up as much as we possibly can. My thing was I wanted our attendees to experience the culture. Right. In Hong Kong, we had we took them to lunch for dim sum. Well, that didn't work. At first, I, wouldn't let anybody, I didn't want anybody to use eating utensils. They had to use chopsticks. And we found a lot of them at local McDonald's afterwards because they didn't know what they were eating you know, of the dim sum thing. But it was still the culture that mm-hmm. I was trying to get. Um, when you're in Europe, I told people we're used to eating supper in the United States and being done in 30 minutes. They dine in Europe and it's a two-hour deal. Right. Most of them don't have big homes that they live in, so they don't have a lot of refrigerated things. They don't have places to entertain, so they entertain in restaurants. So be mm-hmm. used to it. Don't get antsy that you're not getting your dessert for, in 
30 minutes, it might be an hour, hour and a half. And so right. experiences in different cultures and the different things that other people do. You know, we, we tried to have local artists, whether it be uh, visual arts or performing arts or whatnot, uh, just to, not the hula dancers, although we did do that, but just, you know, meeting people who are, are locals. Right. You know? that, that was always the, the fun side of it. I enjoyed when I got there and I enjoyed when I got home, but in between on the planes was kind of rough. Yeah. And, and your team in particular, it wasn't a vacation by any stretch of the imagination. You, you were working every minute. Yeah, exactly right. But again, I had great people to work with. Our business partners, uh, destination management companies, which is a fancy term for people that live in the area, that have a company that knows the restaurants, knows the activities and things like that. One of the things I always try to stop or prevent people from doing, my staff anyway, is you're not an expert in a lot of this stuff. Right. Let the people who do this, who live there, know what's going on because we booked some of our programs two and three years out. Mm-hmm. Well, you can go to Ralph's hot dog stand when you're there three years out. Then the third year you go there and hot dog stand's gone. Right. Only local people would know that. And things that people were experienced at, let them use their, their talents. You don't tell a trumpet player how to play the trumpet. You know, those types of things. Uh, so take advantage of the people that you're working with or being exposed to. What, I, as you're talking, it made me think about the cultures and different cultures around the world. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to word this question, but I'm sure you can help me. As an American, you know, we're, we're very American and we love America and America is the greatest place on earth. I think Steve Martin had a joke he used to tell. He would say, it's like those French have a different word for everything. And I, I think about that all the time and it just makes me laugh. What? What do you learn or hopefully what do you learn or was there anything you hoped that our American friends learn as they travel around the world? To be observant, uh, enjoy the, enjoy the moment. I, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, as a matter of fact, about the ugly American. And when you're traveling by yourself, like many cases, before the meetings actually took place, there'd be a lot of traveling by yourself. And so you would notice things that went on. And uh, you, had, you had to kind of do things their way. You know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, I witnessed a couple of times some ugly American type stuff. The guy with the white tennis shoes on, the khaki shorts and the Panama hat, you know, right. you know raising all kinds of cane with a 7-Eleven clerk in Vienna. Right. No right. wonder we get these, these monikers hang up on us. And what was really interesting is how they perceive the United States. Mm-hmm. There's a different slant of things. In Spain, I would get the uh, uh, newspaper El Paz or something like that, it was, but it was in English. And they're taking what was going on in the United States was totally different than what was going, which we were led to believe. And I can't remember the situation that was going on, but it was just, every, they've got a different uh, perspective on us. And right. we have a different perspective on them. Right. You know? And it's, yeah. it's, it's, 
Well, in, in one of the cases, we went to, uh, we're in Vienna, and we went to a restaurant for Wiener Schnitzel. The restaurant opened in 1492, and the comment was made to me, some guys floating around in a boat, and we hadn't been found yet, and these guys are eating Wiener Schnitzel. So, you know, it just says different types of things in older culture. And you, you got to kind of live the moment. Um, it's not the same as being in the United States. You know, I love the country and everything that it stands for, but it's different. People have to realize it's different. Right. And we can all learn from each other. And that's if we open our minds and open our thoughts, we can all learn from each other. I think so. And it, being open-minded about things listening, which I have problems doing. Uh, it's interesting with Parkinson's, for example, you can only really focus on one thing at a time. If there's two or three people in the conversation, you tend to get lost. Mm. And, uh, and so listening and communicating, my dad used to say, you can't, you can't hear when your mouth's open. That's pretty wise. <laughs> you know, so it was always, if he was talking to me, I'd shut up. And but I still have problems listening because in one ear, not the other. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. I think everybody is. It just, you know, it, it depends on the severity, not the severity, probably the, the importance of listening uh, to people that they might open up to you and you can find out more about them and what drives them, what, what their ambitions are. Um, it was interesting. It was comment was made to me one time. It's interesting to see what the employees do on the weekends how creative they can be with whatever they're doing woodworking or right right it's diminished the creativity is diminished when they go to work why is that yeah the the restrictions we put around them is a large yeah. part yeah. of it i imagine yeah kind of going back to the manager leadership thing managers are kind of confined in what they think leaders can kind of get off the beaten path and look look at things a little differently if they've got the time and the right culture. America Philadelphia is a great culture, right. uh, a great place to work with Fortune Magazine's top 100 companies to work for. They earned it. There were other companies that in Oklahoma City that wanted to be there, didn't have the culture, didn't have the environment, and wondered why they couldn't make the list. Well, it was because of the culture. Right, right. In, in Caterpillar, I was a number. No, I didn't know any. I just knew the people I worked with. Didn't know mm -hmm. who was calling the shots. Read the annual report, and that's about it. With American Fidelity, you knew a lot of the people. I ran into one in the ICU unit at the hospital that I volunteer at, mm. wearing masks. And she said, you "Used to work in American Fidelity, didn't you?" Right. You know, and, and stuff like that. Where most people wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, under certain circumstances, wouldn't wouldn't put it out. People. I run into all kinds of people in the ICU, different walks of life, different parts of the state. So you talk about culture shock, different living in Oklahoma City than it is living in Woodward, Oklahoma, or Slapping right. or something, just the difference within our own state. Yeah, very different culture, yeah. Brett, you've mentioned uh, your successor uh, a few times, and uh, I got an email from Carla Parker uh, about this interview and she had something to say about you so i'm going to read it oh jeez! i said lunch with her last week and she didn't say anything <laughs> she said uh, brett is an amazing leader 
and I would love to be just like him. He is kind, considerate, and always protective of his team. I want to come back and say something about that in a minute. Uh, He is the type of leader who always does the right thing, builds your confidence, has an open door where you can express your frustration, concern, or a good laugh. He always has time, no matter how busy he is. He enjoys meeting new people and is the person who, when you're next to on the plane, that will find out your entire story, unlike me, who doesn't want to talk to anyone, (laughs) which is which is funny. Uh, she says, you, you can never go to lunch with Brett without him knowing uh, one to two people in the restaurant. Brett is a one of a kind leader and not many in the world like him. Well, that's very kind of her. And, how much did you uh, pay? Uh, not, not a dime. It's just how <laughs> people feel about Brett. Uh, we're about out of time here, but I want to mention one thing she said about uh, you being protective of your team. And I think that's uh, a great point about being a good leader. Um, I remember, you, you probably won't remember it or you might, but I remember a circumstance where um, my team was working with your team on a project. And I had uh, one of my team come to me with an issue. And so me being the manager, I went to you as the manager and I said, hey, this thing's going on and there's this issue. And I loved your response instead of just saying, you know, yeah, that's a problem, whatever you said. Well, let me um, look into it and investigate it. And it could be any number of these reasons why this is happening. And as, as Carla said, you were protective of your team. You didn't just throw them under the bus or anything like that, which a lot of leaders would do. Um in order to make themselves look good or something, they would, you know, throw their own people under the bus. And you did not do that. You were uh, protective of your team. And you, and you said, let me investigate. And um, I, I remembered that and I appreciated it. And I think it is a sign of a great leader. And, um, you know, a lot of people may say, oh, well, that's what everybody would do, but it's not what everybody would do. I've experienced uh, much different reactions than that before. And so I appreciated that. And it's one of the things I've always admired about you is the way you um, were protective of your team. And I thought it was appropriate. And uh, it's just one more thing I learned that day from Brett Behrman. And I uh, admire that about you. Well, thank you. It was a normal reaction of those types of things with, with different people. Yeah, I was protected from my team because not everybody in the company knew what they did. Right. They didn't right. walk in their shoes and things of that nature. And I had great people. Carla was phenomenal. I can't believe she said those things, however. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's one of those things that uh, people can relate to different people differently. I was the right. only male in the department. And I had to learn how, how women thought in some of the younger ones that corrected me on some things that I, I learned a lot from the younger ones. I say younger ones that they were just out of college and it was the first job or second job or whatever the case right. might be. But, you know, you can learn a lot from people around you if you just slow down a little bit. Right. I think so many of us are in a hurry to get things done. We don't take the time to focus on the individual we're talking to or working with. And you get sidetracked too easily, like in the open work environment, like cubicles and things like that nature. Right. 
your door's always going to be open because there's no door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's another great thing about you, though, is as experienced as you are and as legendary as you are, you are always open to learning more and new things. You never came across like, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of leaders I've heard, like, listen, I've been in this business. I, I had a manager one time, not at American Fidelity, somewhere else. Manager tell me one time, I've been in this business 40 years and I know this and I know that. You, you've never come across with that type of attitude. And I think that's one of the things that makes you a great leader. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, it's got, I saw a movie or a training film one time. It's called You Are What You Were When and dealt with generations, how to different, work with different generations. People that were brought up in, born in, in the 20s that went to World War, did fought in different wars versus right. the people in, their, in the 1970s and stuff like that. Um, it's just it's phenomenal when you sit back and think of how people are. And it's going on in today's world too. You know, the, the way right. people are raised, the, the younger ones and so on and so forth. Um, you're, never, you're never too old or whatever to learn things. There's just different things that you learn. Right. That's like right. Few things that are broken. Yeah. Brett, we're unfortunately we are out of time. I could talk to you uh, days on end. Do you have any final thoughts, wisdom for us? Any uh, leadership wisdom you want to share with us as we head out? Well, you know, I think mindfulness in, in its entirety. I did some research because I, to be very frank with you, when you asked me to be part of this podcast, I had no clue what you're talking about. Like I said, I misread it and thought it was mindlessness when yeah. you're part of it, which fits me very well. But, you know, there's, it was funny. I thought there's one that's got the top 10 things and there's the other one that's got the top 15 things. Right. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it talks about avoid gossip, celebrate your employees. It's all there. And some people, it comes naturally. Some people have to force it, but mm -hmm. you've got to, you've got to do it. I mean, you can't get things done by yourself, uh, no matter what it might be. You always I, have to have somebody to talk to, rely on. I love that, that you say with some people, it comes naturally and with other people, they have to force it because that's, what's amazing about you. I think your leadership qualities are innate. They're, they're very natural. And I think with other leaders to be like you, they'll have to force it. You know what I mean? They'll have to develop the skills that with you are quite natural, but that's why I think these conversations are important because they'll say, Oh, I need to be thoughtful about my team. I need to talk to my team. I need to be open with my team. I need to do those things. Well, that's not natural to me. Well, okay. That's fine. If it's not natural, but if you want to be a great leader, like Brett Berriman is a great leader, you'll have to learn to develop those skills. You so, do. Some people say it can't be taught. Yeah, it can be taught. It's an awareness, it's a simple awareness of, right. uh, you know, talking about gossip or talking about 
suburban employees. It's just an awareness level. You, I think sometimes leaders and managers too get tunnel vision, don't see what's really going on around them. And that a lot of times it's the people. Right. They're around them. It's not the computers. It's not material things. It's that intrinsic value that and everybody has. Some just have to, everybody's got it. They just have to figure a way to explain it or expose it to others. That's tone of voice, you know, some people have a tone of voice that just turns you off. Well, right. Maybe that's something I've learned a lot in Parkinson's. There's a lot of things that you have to do training. I have to learn how to eat. I have to learn how to breathe. I have to learn how to talk. I have to learn how to walk. And those are things that come natural to most people. They came natural to me that are now going away. So, you know, I'm mindful I have to swing my arms when I walk. Never had you just have to do that. Mm. So it's, it's, taught me, it's taught me a lot about adaptability and where you want to be. You know, it's uh, right. one of those things. Wonderful. Well, Brett, this has been a fantastic talk. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us. And we've learned a lot from talking to you today. Well, David, thanks. It's been a pleasure. And it's been a long time since I've seen you have to get together here in one of your forays. Absolutely. We'll we'll get together and we'll go to 1492 and have some good queso. There you go. Right, you're on. I'll buy. All right. Sounds good. Right. Well, thank you, Brett. I love you. Have a great day. You do the same, David. Bye. I hope you got just a taste of how great Brett Barrowman is. You know, I was thinking about it and I have never heard anybody say a negative word about Brett. And that's rare to say about anybody. Brett was talking about the different cultures that he has experienced in his life. From working construction as a young man in Chicago to flying two and a half million miles around the world in many different countries. Brett has a deep appreciation for all different cultures and viewpoints that come from those experiences. I'd like for us to take a few minutes to reflect on our own experiences and thoughts about the different viewpoints that we experience or haven't experienced in our lives. So let's make ourselves comfortable wherever you are. If you're driving, of course, be safe. If you're in a upright seat, maybe plant your feet firmly on the ground to ground yourself. Place your hands comfortably in your lap. Place your back against the seat and just sit upright. Just breathe naturally. If you're in a recliner, just rest naturally. Make yourself comfortable. Let's all just take a deep breath, inhale. 
and exhale. If you would think for a moment about how you grew up. Think about how many different places you lived growing up and the type of people that you grew up with. Or the type of people you were around growing up, what type of people you experienced, and what kinds of beliefs and viewpoints you were exposed to growing up. Maybe what kinds of beliefs and viewpoints you were unaware of growing up. Take a few moments and think about how you grew up. And the experiences you had. And how that impacted your views and beliefs. As you've grown up and gotten older, where have you traveled? Where have you gone? How far away from home have you gotten? What types of people have you met in your travels? What kinds of beliefs and viewpoints were you exposed to because of the people you've met? And how has that changed your viewpoints and challenged your views and beliefs?
Think about the education that you've had. What kind of formal or informal educational experiences you've had in your life? And how has that developed you? Challenged your thinking? Expanded your cultural knowledge? How has that changed your views about the world? How has that influenced you? Now consider your life experiences. How have those expanded your views about the world? How have the people you've met in your life from different cultures, different places, provoked your thoughts, your views, your beliefs, and impacted you? What has changed or developed about you because of your experiences and the people you've met throughout your life?
Let's take a deep breath and inhale. And exhale. And again, inhale. And exhale. One last time, inhale. And exhale. I hope you have enjoyed the podcast today. I know you enjoyed Brett Barrowman. He's a wonderful, wonderful man with lots of great insight that I hope you enjoyed today. Please be sure to go out and rate and review the Mindful Leader podcast. Doing that helps us show up in the uh, podcast guru algorithms, and that'll help us show up for other people so they can also enjoy the Mindful Leader. If you are interested, you can go out to PendulumCoaching.com and you can learn more about your friendly neighborhood host, David McLaughlin. You can sign up for our newsletter there. You can also find videos of meditations on various mindfulness topics. That's on our events page, so be sure to check that out. Let everyone you know know about the podcast, The Mindful Leader so they can enjoy all of these wonderful, great sessions as well. We appreciate you joining us. It means a lot to us. And uh, we will see you next time on The Mindful Leader.